1: Live from downtown Salt Lake City, the Utah Debate Commission welcomes you to the gubernatorial candidates' debate. Good evening. I'm Doug Wright with KSL Radio and Television. It's my real pleasure this evening to moderate, tonight, moderate tonight's debate at the invitation of the Utah Debate Commission. This event, held live on September 29th, is part of the Utah Debate Commission's mission to educate voters and to encourage the civil exchange of ideas. If you're watching or listening live, we encourage your reactions and your questions on social media using the hashtag UTDebates and Listen, Learn, Vote. We're also broadcasting live from KSL Studios, where we will hear from two candidates vying for the office of governor, Republican Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox and Democrat Chris Peterson. For the safety of all involved in the debate process, we are adhering to social distancing guidelines, and there is no studio audience tonight. The questions for the debate will come from myself, students from Utah Valley University, members of the news media, and the viewing audience participating on social media. And response uh, times to questions are defined, but will vary from one to two minutes if needed. Candidates will have the opportunity for a 30-second rebuttal. Now, prior to the debate tonight, a virtual coin toss determined that Spencer Cox will provide the initial response to the first question, and will alternate who answers first on the remaining questions, and let's get right to those questions now. This to both of you, and it will go to you, Lieutenant Governor First. If you are elected, certainly you will affect so directly the history and the direction of the state of Utah for at least four years, maybe eight. In the state of Utah, it's not unusual to go even beyond that. But let's talk about two terms. What should Utah look like under your leadership with your administration in the year 2028? And what specifically do you hope at the end of that time period, almost a decade away now, that your administration will be remembered for doing in our great state.
0: Well, thank you, Doug. Obviously, this year has been one for the record books in all of the wrong ways. But the future of Utah is incredibly bright. And, and if I get the opportunity to serve as your governor, I hope that eight years from now, as we together look back over the course of those eight years and what we've been able to accomplish again together, it will look a lot like today, only, only better. There, there are certain, certain areas that we will be focusing on. And if not for the pandemic, it's all you would have heard me talking about. But most specifically in the area of education. Uh, We lead the nation in upward mobility. We lead the nation with the lowest poverty rate. Those are things that we should be proud of. But unfortunately, not everyone has been able to take advantage of the successes as the best state in the nation, the best economy in the nation over the last 10 years. My goal is that looking back eight years from now, we will show that that prosperity that so many Utahns have taken advantage of over 10 years will also be enjoyed by people in rural Utah, by people in our multicultural communities, by everyone, that equal
1: opportunity to participate in the Utah dream. And now the same question for Chris Peterson. After a Peterson administration for eight years, what will Utah be like and what will you take particular pride in having done?
2: Well, thank you, Doug. Uh, first off, uh, my hope is that if, after a Peterson administration, we will quickly get through this coronavirus crisis, uh, get that under control, get our economy back on track and start building our economy, uh, an economy of the future. Uh, in a Peterson administration, I want to focus on making sure that we are no longer dead last and per pupil funding for our public school system. I want to make sure that we have a government that's responsive to the public instead of overturning ballot measures that the public just voted for and replacing them with watered-down versions, a government that actually listens to the people and is moderate and also promotes fair and affordable taxes for our struggling citizens. I also think we've got to do a better job cleaning up our air. It's been a problem for too long and we need to make progress. And then last, we've got to make sure that more of our public gets access to the health care that they need in order to stay healthy. We are one of the lower third of states in terms of the number of people who have access to health insurance. We need to do a better job on that. I hope to lead in that respect in a Peterson administration. Thank
1: you. In different times, this uh, debate, this event would have happened at uh, Utah Valley University. So we have some of the students of Utah Valley University asking questions tonight. And let's get our first question right now.
0: Hi, my name is Preston Strickland. I'm a student at Utah Valley University. And my question for both of you is, what should the government do about mask wearing among college students, because they have clearly not been taking it serious, and it is an ongoing problem.
1: We go to uh, Chris Peterson first on this one, and we'll allow 90 seconds on this one. Well,
2: first off, mask wearing is only one important part of trying to get our coronavirus situation back under control. First off, I would impose a statewide mask mandate, of course, with some reasonable exceptions. Nobody's saying that if you're a rancher out in the middle of 40 acres that you need to have a mask on. But wearing masks is one of the things that we do to love our neighbors and to protect one another. The best scientific evidence says that it's likely to help limit the spread of the disease. And what's more, we need to have it across the state because one community Concede infections in another community. The virus is all throughout our state. We've all got to work together as a team to get it under control. But it's not just about masks. We also, second, need to decrease the processing time for our coronavirus tests. We still have tests at some locations that are taking two, three days, even a week to get processed. And in the meantime, people don't know whether or not it's safe to go back to work or to school. Third, we've got to make sure that we're doubling, tripling, or even quadrupling the number of contract tracers that are out there. So when we start to get the infection, rates down. We can identify where pockets might be flaring up and try to get people humanely and safely quarantined. And then last, we've got to do a better job getting the resources that we need in places where it makes sense for them to go. Uh, We've, I believe, squandered some, uh, you know, a lot of money on things like cell phone applications that didn't work. We still don't have N95 masks widely available for our frontline workers. We've got to have the best available technology and use and and
1: provide it in a a cost-effective, transparent uh, way. And now to our Lieutenant Governor, Spencer Cox, the same question from our student at UVU. Well, first of all, I, I want to thank Preston for that question, because the, the very fact that you're asking
0: that question makes me know that you know how important it is to wear masks. We do have mask mandates at, at all of our colleges and university, and still we have too many young people that aren't wearing their masks. This outbreak that we're seeing right now is being driven by young people, and The New York Times did a piece of, uh, about two weeks ago that talked about how this is happening all across the country in red states and blue states, wherever we have college towns, and of course, in, in, in Utah Valley. Uh, we we have two major colleges, 60,000 students being put together, and many of them are doing it the right way, but, but many of them also aren't. And so we have to educate people. One of the things I love about your generation, Preston, is you, you really do care about people, you care about each other. And, and we know that the virus does not impact people your age as much as, as others. Uh, most of you will recover just fine, and, and, and there won't be any long term repercussions. And, and if, we could, if we could just keep it to, to you young people, that would be great. But here's the problem. That, that doesn't work. We know that young people inevitably uh, interact with older people. And that virus doesn't care what age you are. It just cares about finding a host. And so we need your help. We actually just launched a campaign last week. And it was designed by you, by young people, to help other young people understand the importance of mask wearing, social distancing, of taking this very seriously. My message to you young people is please, please. Please take this seriously. You care about others. It may not hurt
1: you, but it could kill someone else. I mentioned this at the beginning of the debate, laying things out, that we would be taking questions from social media. And, boy, we're getting responses. And I might mention, too, before I read Erica Efron's uh, question for both of you, and we'll start with Spencer Cox first. This is the number one thing I've heard, too, and as we have had people participate the students on the websites and elsewhere. This is the number one thing that people are asking about, and I'll kick it off with this question. Will you enforce a statewide mask mandate to help curve COVID-19? Maybe I could add to that, if you had the authority today, would you or would you not, and people have asked me all day, ask them a straight up question, we're expecting a straight up answer. Will you, would you, if you had the authority today, declare a mask mandate in Utah or perhaps in the orange and fortunately not a lot of red districts.
0: Yeah, thank you, Doug. This is a question we get asked all the time. And let me be very clear. Uh, the last three times that I've been asked this, I, I support where we are today. I support what Governor Herbert has chosen to do, leaving mask mandates to individual communities to uh, to, to make that decision. And let me tell you a couple of things that I think are really important about this. Um, we have been pushing for masks. I, I have been pushing for masks for months. If you care about your neighbors, you should wear a mask. Everyone should... Wear a mask. If you have to have a law to mandate you to wear a mask, first of all, you're probably not going to do it anyway. And, uh, and it, it, it doesn't make that much of a difference. And let, let me share the data. We go out every week and we survey. We just randomly pop in. We have, we have hundreds of surveyors that go out and they measure mask wearing all across the state. And I'm really excited to let people know that this week we had our highest numbers ever, um, about 1,500 observations, and mask wearing was at 86%. That's the highest number that we've seen so far. And that's great news. Now, right now, a majority of the state of Utah is under a mask mandate. Of course, Salt Lake County is under that mandate, as is, uh, as is Utah County. And I thought I had two minutes, but it looks like my time's up, Doug, so
1: I'm gonna stop yeah, there. Yeah, it, it was a one minute. Okay, and it and started
0: should... at two minutes. So I, I apologize, <laughs> I would have wound
1: that up sooner. I didn't get my final in, but we'll go ahead. No problem. And uh, Chris Peterson, we'll give you just a little extra time on this.
2: Well, uh, thank you, Doug. Look, I, I called for a statewide mask mandate back in July. Uh, I would do it today because we've had skyrocketing infection rates. We are now the fourth worst uh, uh, state in the country in terms of per capita outbreaks and uh, uh, infections. And, and that's, that's, that's according to the CDC's numbers, the best available science. We've got to do more to get this virus under control because it's critical for saving lives. And, you know, look, I, I hate wearing masks. I don't like my mask. It, you know, it gets foggy, it fogs up my glasses. I don't enjoy it either. But there are a lot of things that we do in a, in a civilized society to take care of one another. We have mandates about stopping at traffic lights. We, we're not allowed to drive 200 miles an hour down the freeway. If you show up to work, you probably have to wear your pants. You know, there are... Things that we need to do as a society to take care of one another. And right now, temporarily, this will not last forever. But right now, we need to wear masks. And that's why I would require it as a matter of law. Thank you.
1: Again, this has been such a, uh, an interesting question that has been asked by so many. We go once again to one of our students from UVU. And let's hear what he had to say. Hi, my name is Eric Cardona. I'm from Utah Valley University. My question for all candidates is, uh, what is your plan on slowing the spread of COVID-19
2: now the more schools and churches are opening full time,
1: despite the
2: rising outbreaks in Utah. Thank you.
1: Uh, Mr. Peterson, let's go to you first and perhaps we could just focus on the churches and our schools.
2: All right, well, first off, I already talked about a number of different strategies that I think that we need to put in place to get our virus under control, including increased testing, increased contact tracing, increased protective equipment. Of course, we've talked about the mask mandate with respect to our schools and churches, I think that we need to go cautiously. I recognize that we need to have some schools open because kids need to get that education, parents need them to go back to school in order to uh, have, have child care. I think that I, if, if I had been in charge, I would have worked with the Department the, board of, uh, the, you know, the education authorities, uh, to try to increase a little more gradually, try to focus on the youngest kids first because they're the ones that have the hardest time with distance learning and also seem to have the best immune response to the disease. With respect to churches, I'm, I'm I, again, I, similar responses. If we can try to do things outside, uh, it's best if we try to go slow and maintain social distancing. Uh, and, and it's critical that we do that, especially in this, in this difficult time when so many lives are at stake. And one
1: minute now to Spencer Cox.
0: Yeah, so l- let's talk about schools. And I think this is really important. Look, there, there are other things at, at play here that are damaging to, to our children besides the coronavirus. The coronavirus is absolutely important and we are taking it very seriously. But, but the repercussions of not having kids in school uh, can be just as significant and, and maybe even worse in some cases. In fact, many of our students are being left behind, especially those in low-income area, students with disabilities. Uh, the Salt Lake City School District is the only school district in the state that has not gone back to in-person learning, and that's a huge mistake. It is it is damaging our kids, and that needs to change right now. We are working very closely with school districts, and there is amazing innovation happening with our teachers. When we start to see outbreaks, we can pivot. Uh, we can go to a hybrid model, and we, we saw this in Pleasant Grove. Once we pivoted to the hybrid model, where kids were only there half of the time, and there was more social distancing, they were able to get that under control. This is a dance we're going to have to do over the next few months to allow kids back in school, but also keep them safe.
1: We're very pleased this evening to have our friend and colleague from ABC4 Utah, Glenn Mills, with us. And Glenn, your question.
0: Gentlemen, good to be with you this evening. Uh, Mr. Peterson, you recently called on Governor Herbert to remove the lieutenant governor from his role with the Coronavirus Task Force, citing in part that you felt it Uh, was outside of his area of expertise. Talk more about why you believe it is inappropriate for him to be serving in that position. And in your response, Lieutenant Governor, why do you believe it does fit within your expertise
1: And two, why do you think it was appropriate for the governor to appoint you to that position in the middle of an election? And to stay in our regular order, we will go with Spencer Cox first and then Chris Peterson will have the response. Uh,
0: Can I defer to Mr. Peterson? It's hard to respond to his arguments against me being on this. So choose. Go ahead,
1: if that's Well, all right. uh, Sure.
2: I'll go first. Look, first off, uh, it's not personal. okay? I I mean, I I genuinely like the lieutenant governor. I think he's a good guy and I think we'd be good friends, you know, in in other other walks of life. I I feel like we're already kind of becoming that or at least I hope for that to be the case. But here's the problem. It's not about me. It's not about Spencer. It's about saving people's lives. People's jobs are on the line. Small businesses are collapsing. And it was clear to me that our coronavirus response was careening off track. And in fact, it did careen off track. We are now the fourth worst in the country for coronavirus infections. And that's having consequences not just for people's health, uh, but also for businesses, for jobs. You know, people face long term lung scarring in their lungs, kidney damage, uh, uh, heart damage, even brain damage associated with this dangerous disease. That's why we've got to do more. And we need to be listening to the public health experts at the Department of Health to get us through this crisis in the best way possible.
1: And now your response.
2: Yeah, no, I appreciate that, Mr. Peterson, and and I think we are becoming friends. And by
0: the way, whatever happens in the next hour is going to be completely bonkers compared to uh, what's happening right now. So (laughs) I I, I do want to say this, though, and this is really important. The whole idea of of the coronavirus task force and and what is followed there is bringing together the very experts he's talking about. Look, we if you get a chance to be governor, part of being governor or lieutenant governor means that you have to make incredibly difficult decisions. We're threading a needle here. Uh, This is a pandemic unlike anything we've seen in over 100 years. And we brought together and are still working over 250 individuals every day, the best and brightest in the state, medical professionals, emergency response team that are coming together and making recommendations to the governor who then makes those decisions. That's what's best about Utah. And that's exactly what we're doing. And it shows in our successes, Doug, the best economy in the country during a pandemic with unemployment at 4.1% and one of the lowest mortality rates in the country at 0.6%. Now, again, it hasn't been perfect. We have a long way to go, but we are working together
1: to find those solutions. Our candidates, of course, can ask for a rebuttal. And Chris Peterson, let's go to you.
2: Well, look, I I, I agree that we've had some successes and we do have a Department of Health that's involved, but we also have had some real challenges. We've spent over $100 million and still have not got ourselves into the situation where our virus is under control. And second, we're closing low-income health clinics that could be used to fight the disease in Ogden, Provo, and Salt Lake City. And we've wasted money on that cell phone app and uh, 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 medicines that science shows doesn't work. That's not appropriate. We need better leadership on this
1: virus. And do we have a, a request for a rebuttal, or can we move on? I, well, I'll go ahead and request a rebuttal if that's okay. I, I, again, look, this this
0: response is about all Utahns coming together. Um, I am very proud of the people that have stepped up in this response. There have been some mistakes and I've been very clear about that in the past in admitting those. But by and large, we are doing this the right way. Every time I start to feel bad about where we are as a state, I talk to my colleagues across the country and they will tell you that Utah is doing it the right way. We're working together and we're going to continue to lower the, the rate of spread of this
1: virus and save lives. One of my concerns for the debate tonight, as its moderator, was that we would, uh, certainly we need to address COVID-19, but there is so much more to discuss here in the state of Utah. Long after COVID-19 is in the rearview mirror, there will still be huge issues and opportunities for Utah. I'd like to talk about one of them right now, and it's quality of life. And gentlemen, as we look at the population of Utah now, and it's doubling by 2050, We look at the growth, we look at the traffic, we look at the infrastructure, you look at all the people who envy our lifestyle in the state of Utah and our population growth, homegrown in the state of Utah. I'd like to talk to you about how we maintain the quality of life that we have here in our state. And let's start with Spencer Cox first, one minute on this.
0: Yeah, thank you. Like there, there's a reason that Utah is the fastest-growing state in the nation over the last ten years. Of course, we have a lot of kids, and I know that's that's one of the main reasons. But we're also top ten in in migration. People have discovered Utah. It's a beautiful place. Of course, we had the best economy in the nation under the Herbert Cox administration over the last ten years, and that is bringing people from, from all over the world to come here to raise their kids, to get a job, and to enjoy the, the quality of life that we have. Uh, but we can't maintain that quality of life if we're not careful. And and there's a a very simple uh, formula that I use all the time. You've heard me use it before. And that is when infrastructure precedes growth, the quality of life stays high. When growth precedes infrastructure, the quality of life declines. Here in Utah, we are investing in infrastructure. Of course, we have an incredible airport that just opened. Uh, The the, the freeway uh, interchanges are are improving. Uh, We have to work, though, in some other areas. Mass transit has to get more reliable and and quicker and, and easier for people to use, and and we can build that density around those transit hubs to make sure the quality of life stays
1: high. Mr. Peterson, your response?
2: Yeah, so I, I agree that infrastructure is an important component of trying to make our, uh, uh, continue to have a, a, a great place to live. But we also need to focus on making sure that our kids have great schools to go to. Uh, we are dead last in per pupil funding and education. We need to do better on that. We've also got to get our air pollution challenges under control. The demographers are predicting we're going to have millions of additional people moving in and growing up here in the Wasatch Front. That's going to put more air pollution in our air. If we don't get ahead of that, it's going to decrease our quality of life. I also think that we need to focus on making sure that we're spreading out the economic development, not just along the Wasatch Front, but all across the state to more rural areas. I'd like to invest in rural broadband to try to facilitate teleworking and developing jobs out in other communities across the state so we can spread out and use our wonderful lands uh, to our best advantage. So all things that we can do to try to make our country, our state, the best possible place to live. I think we have a bright and optimistic future. You can count on me to be a reasonable moderate focused on practical solutions
1: guiding us gently in that direction. Our colleague Ladd Egan from uh, Channel 5 is here with us. And Ladd, your question. You know, I'd like to say on that topic of our quality of life, those
2: born and raised in Utah worry that our state is simply becoming unaffordable, especially because of the skyrocketing cost of housing. Candidates, tell me your plan to first of all address the shortage of housing and how to make housing more affordable. And we go to Mr. Peterson. First, one minute. I'm so glad that you asked this question because it's right up my alley. First off, we need to make sure that we're not just developing jobs, but careers. People need to make enough money to have a living wage so they can buy a house, maybe rent an apartment. Uh, that's step one. We've got to make sure that those jobs are high-quality jobs. Step two, I think we should be increasing tax incentives to try to make sure that we're building affordable housing and creating the housing stock that's available to keep the prices relatively low. Third, I think that we should work in partnership partnership with local governments to try to make lively, walkable neighborhoods that are close to where people work and that, that bring people close to where they work, where they live. Uh, you can also do so more cheaply that way. It also decreases overall infrastructure costs when we're not driving all around the town all the time. And then also, I want to go back to that rural broadband and teleworking, because it's another great way to try to decrease uh, housing costs. Uh, your Wasatch Front salary dollars can go a little bit further if you're not in Lehigh, but over the mountains in Price or Carbon County because housing is a little bit cheaper in those areas. And Spencer Cox
0: well I, I want to uh, I want to reply by saying I agree with with much of what uh, what Professor Peterson has said on, on this issue. The rural broadband piece is really important, and as somebody who lives in rural Utah and, and somebody who ran a rural broadband business, this is important ninety eight percent of Utah Utahs have access to broadband right now, and we 're working very hard on those last two percent uh, i've been a big proponent of teleworking. this is a, a huge opportunity for people to live anywhere they want to and continue This is one of the silver linings coming out of the, this, this COVID crisis is that people are realizing they can work from home and they can be incredibly successful there. But we also need innovation. Uh, over the past year, I've been reaching out and working with, with some of our home builder associations across the state in three areas, innovation in the way we build homes to, to build them cheaper, um, innovation in the way we finance homes, and innovation in regulatory schemes around, around home building. Much of the price of housing is artificially driven by the way that we regulate home building. Now, it's not up to the state to, uh, to, tell, to tell people how to zone their, their cities. That's up to local municipalities. But we can have different zoning, again, around these transit hubs that will make an impact on Utahns.
1: Thank you. We're very pleased to have Heidi Hatch With K U T V Channel 2 News and your question. Thank you. Gentlemen, good evening. I think it's safe to say some good news here that Utah has fared better than really any other state in the nation when it comes to job loss. But that number is little consolation to the thousands who are still without work, many of them in the service industry. On day one or right now, what can you do to get these four to five percent of Utah's who are without work back to work and make sure that those service industry businesses keep their doors open so that when people come back to our convention centers or come back back to our parks they're there and open and ready for business we have a 2 minute response and we'll start with spencer cox well, thank you for the question, Heidi, and you're, you're
0: absolutely right. There, there are far too many people right now that, that are struggling to, to make ends meet, that, that have lost their jobs. Uh, it is important to know that we are the best in the nation. We've lost fewer jobs than any other state, and that's, that's incredible and something that we should celebrate. But to those who, who are struggling right now, um, we have placed just, just over the past few months $15 million in our trade and technical institutions and our institutions of higher education specifically for this purpose to help those who have lost their jobs to get new skills. Believe it or not, we still have thousands of jobs, high-paying jobs here in the state of Utah that are available today, um, but but we just don't have the people to fill those jobs. So there is a unique opportunity right now to get more skills, uh, to to get back into the workforce. Now, to those who are in those industries, to business owners and others that are struggling right now, um, we've worked very closely, again, with the federal government on the PPP loans. Um, Utah was number one in the nation in getting those loans out to businesses, advantage of that so that they could keep their doors open, they could keep employees on the payroll, and uh, and make sure that as that tourism starts to come back to Utah, that they will be able to have their jobs and provide for their families. But there's even more that we're doing. We actually have brought in Taylor Randall, who is the dean of business school at, at the uh, University of Utah, and he is leading our economic response. Um, we have used state dollars uh, to reach out to these businesses. We have, we have uh, teams that are going out and meeting with businesses, taking pledges that the Stay Safe, Stay Open pledge so that their, their uh, businesses can be safe for people to come back so that we can increase the, um, the willingness of Utahns who are worried about the coronavirus to feel safe in these business establishments. Uh, so I, I'm very optimistic for the future. Utah has an opportunity to recover in ways that, uh, that are better than other states. And by the way, just as an aside, we are going to see a renaissance in manufacturing here in this country. as Supply chains have been broken overseas, and Utah is going to take advantage of that, and that's going to bless the lives of of thousands of workers across the
1: state. Mr. Peterson, your two minutes.
2: You know, one of the things that I love about our home state is that we're hard workers. We hustle in this town. We care a lot about entrepreneurialism and free markets, uh, and I care about those same things. I support that. But the challenge that we're facing right now has more to do than anything with the coronavirus. That's what's holding us back. In order to have a healthy economy, we have to have healthy people. The reason people aren't going out and shopping, going to theaters, going to the restaurant, in the numbers that they were before is because they're afraid of getting sick. And they should be. 200,000 Americans have perished in this di- in this, from this disease. That's more Americans than died in the First World War or that died in every combat operation following the Second World War, including Korea, Vietnam, and all the Middle Eastern Wars combined. And it's not just whether or not you die. It's also whether or not you have long-term health effects from that. So that. The fastest path to get people back to work in this state is to get this virus under control, and it's going to continue on after the election. That's one of the reasons that I think you should vote for me to, on this in this election, because I will get to work on that virus, and I'll get it under control. But we do have to have a longer term vision after the coronavirus. We're doing a lot of things right. I believe we need to try to keep taxes low, have a light touch on regulation. That's one of the things that's made us successful in the past. I'll continue to do that. Uh, second, we need to bond for shovel-ready information infrastructure projects right now with rock bottom interest rates that can help spur jobs and get our economy fired back up. I think we need to leverage our research universities, colleges, community colleges to try to create pipelines for jobs of the future. I'll bring together the tech sector, the banking sector, the biotechnology industry and aerospace and get a hold of what jobs we need, not just now, but in five years and 10 years and 15 years to try to lead the future and have the workforce ready to try to build that economy of the future. Let's go beat the Japanese. Let's go beat the Chinese. Let's go beat the Germans and the other Northern Europeans. We can do everything that they can do and we can do it better right here in Utah.
1: Let me lead. We are nearing the midpoint of our debate this evening and I welcome you who are now joining us uh, once again to the live debate between the candidates for the office of Utah's governor. As a reminder on social media, please use the hashtag UTDebates and listen, learn, vote And now let's get back to our exchange. In any quote unquote normal year, we would have been up to our eyeballs discussing education and funding for education by now. That is so important for our state. And I think especially in light of some of the challenges that we are dealing with, uh, with COVID. But let's talk about the future and recouping uh, some of the perhaps even ground that we have lost revenue wise, There are concerns among many uh, teachers and parents. Are our kids losing ground while we're trying to figure all of this out? But let's uh, get your vision for the state of Utah when it comes to education and especially anticipating some of the budgeting challenges coming up. What are your views on education? And Chris Peterson now. You know, Doug, my
2: great-great-grandfather John Taylor led a wagon train of 1,500 pioneers to this town, uh, to this state in 1847. He became the first public school superintendent, uh, the speaker of the House of Representatives, the chairman of Zion's Bank, and the third president of his church. Uh, but I came from much more humble origins. I was raised by a single-parent household in a single-parent household by my disabled mom, and I am entirely a product of Utah's public schools. I, I went, I worked my way through high school and went on to college and graduated from the University of Utah and eventually won a scholarship to the University of Utah. What do we need to do? We've got to increase the resources available. We have the lowest per pupil funding in America, and that's got to change. We've had decades to get it fixed, and it's not getting done. One in four fourth graders in Utah can't read at a basic level, and we need to make sure that we are addressing the highest teen suicide rate in America. To do that, it's going to take some resources. We've cut to the bone in the past, and it's our children that are suffering. I'll do better. Lieutenant Governor, your response, one minute. Thank you, Doug.
0: Professor Peterson is right. We we need more funding for education, but I think it's important to point out why we are the lowest funded per pupil state in the nation. There's two reasons for that. One, we have a lot of kids, more kids per capita than anywhere else in the country. That's a good problem to have. But the second problem is is a lot more difficult. It's because uh, about 70% of our state is owned by the federal government. And the federal government does not pay taxes on that. And in most states, the way you fund education is through property tax. And certainly there's a big component of that here in the state of Utah. Now, when we talk about being the lowest funded state per pupil, that's also not true. There are several schools districts where the funding per pupil is actually well above the national average that may be a surprise to, to many of you but the truth is there are many school districts like the one where i grew up in and, and where my kids are being educated right now that are far far below the national average we have an equity problem here in the state of utah and we have to address that we have to make sure that kids in rural utah as well as the west side of the salt lake valley
1: get the same opportunities the same education as kids in park city I would like to uh, stay with this topic. Education is so important. And I still think uh, anticipating talking with our legislators, talking with many of our business people, what the, the tax revenue might be, what some of the shortfalls might be, some of the challenges in the upcoming legislative session. Uh, and one of you will be presiding over what's happening on Capitol Hill at that time and giving your State of the State address. We also have amendment, I believe it's G, uh, on the ballot. And for those not familiar, it's in your voter pamphlet, by the way, online. But shall the Utah Constitution be amended to expand the uses of the money the state receives from income taxes and intangible property taxes to include supporting children and supporting people with a disability? This is kind of a lot to talk about. So we are going to allow two minutes on this one for each of you. And again, the budgeting issues, the amendment. I've had some people report they're having a little heartburn over the amendment now. Fully supported it, but now they're concerned about some of the revenue and budgeting issues. So, Spencer Cox, uh, let's start with you in two minutes. Thank you, Doug. Look... there's something that, that everyone needs to realize
0: about the coronavirus and budgeting. Yes, we have taken a major hit when it comes to revenues that are uh, tax revenues, your, your payments that are coming into the state of Utah and, and elsewhere. But again, we're doing better than every other state. We called a special session of the legislature to deal with that budget shortfall because unlike the federal government, we, we have a constitutional obligation, a moral obligation above and beyond that to balance our budget. And here's what happened. We balanced that budget and guess what we did not cut? Education. In fact, we had a 2% increase in education funding in the middle of this, this, this pandemic and, and, and recession. No other state in the nation can say that because no other state in the nation was able to do that. That shows the priority that we have together with the legislature for education funding. Now, there were promises that were made to, to teachers, to educators, to parents uh, during the negotiations on Amendment G. And as your governor, I will make sure that those promises are kept. It's absolutely critical that education funding is our first and foremost priority. Now, we have had the largest increase in education spending in our state's history over the past five years. That's something that we should all be proud of. But there is so much more to do. One area that I've I've just become focused on is the way that we build buildings. Uh, If you look at at the new schools that are being built, we have these perverse incentives in there that that this money can only be used for, for these new palatial schools and can't be used for things that matter, like paying our teachers, making sure that our children have the supplies that they need. That has to change. There are better ways to do this, better ways to manage the building of schools. Let me just give a couple examples. We are seeing new high schools in the state where, where districts are spending over $150 million for a high school. It makes absolutely no sense. There's no reason to do it. We can build better, more efficient schools, and we can use that money to provide for the needs of our students, and most importantly, to pay our teachers more and solve the teacher shortage that we are facing right now in our state. Professor
1: Peterson, your two minutes.
2: Yeah, so first I'd like to go back to what the lieutenant governor mentioned about the equity problem in the funding of our public school system. And I agree that there are some equity challenges, but across the state for state funding, we actually have a fairly equitable distribution of resources. But I want people in Bountiful in Sandy and Draper and areas of Lehigh and Provo to listen very carefully. I think what that was say, what, what he may have just said was that he wants to take funding from your local school district district and transfer it to other places around the state. I, I don't believe that what we should be doing is having our kids fighting over scraps. Across the board, our state has the lowest per pupil funding in America. We need to get everybody up equal and then add additional funding to it to try to win the future. Let's stop trying to compete with New Mexico and with Mississippi. Let's get out there and compete with Connecticut and with New York and Massachusetts and some of the other states that have the top performing students in the country. That's the future that we want for our kids. And I get that it's hard. I know that we have a problem with public revenue from our publicly owned lands because the federal government owns a lot of it. As do we we have large families. I have 3 kids. I love them and I'd be welcome another one. That's part of our culture, but we also have a vibrant diversified economy and we have the resources in this state to actually fund education for our kids. It's not the Democratic Party that has failed to do that. It's the majority party and it's time for a little bit more balance, a little bit more forward thinking to try to get the job done. Last, on Amendment G, this is just another example of a strategy to try to pit one group against another. What it does is allow disabled families, uh, dif- disabled, funding for disabled kids, to tap the revenue from our income taxes, which since the 1930s has been dedicated exclusively to public education. My concern is that it's going to start to create competitions between disabled people and the public school kids. Let's just fund both of them. and let's. I, so I think at this point, I think the deal has been broken, and we need to—I'm going to vote against Amendment G.
1: I suspected we might have a rebuttal, and we do. 30 seconds to Spencer Cox. Well, thank you. As much as I appreciate my opponent trying to answer
0: the, my question, let me be very clear. I'm not talking about taking money away from, from existing school districts and moving it to, to school districts that are struggling. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about being more circumspect in the way that we fund our schools so that we are lifting everybody. And, and my opponent said that there's a very equitable distribution of, uh, of funding across districts. Um, he obviously has not looked at the, at the numbers, because we have districts now where per pupil uh, spending is is over $20,000, and others where it's under $10,000, that is not equitable at all. And so I believe that we have to be more careful about the way that we use the funds available and make sure that we're lifting everyone up. Let's
1: go to Chris Peterson. We'll give you a few extra seconds.
2: Right. Thank you for letting me clarify. So my point is that our funding from state budgets is relatively equally distributed, but it's the local resources that, uh, that are, come from property taxes that are not as equally distributed, distributed across the state. And so how is it that you would equalize out the funding when it's the local sources of revenue that is creating the disparity between the two? We would have to go in and tap that local source of revenue and transfer it to somebody else. Or I don't think that you have a practical solution to address the equity problem. But look, I agree with you. Equity is a big challenge. You know, I grew up out in, on the West In a very underfunded school, and I want to try and make that same challenge, uh, rise to that same challenge as well. So about that, we can agree.
1: With the conversation that has unfolded here, could I just ask what I think is a somewhat obvious question? What kind of a tax increase are we going to need in order to get to where we need to be in the state of Utah, or do we not need uh, a tax increase, and I think we'll go to Mr. Peterson first on this. Well, first off, I, I,
2: I like low taxes. I don't want to raise taxes, but the biggest challenge we have in our state is that we have a, a regressive tax system where if you add up all the different sources of revenue, whether that's income tax, property taxes, sales taxes, use fees poor and low to moderate income families pay a disproportionate share of their wealth in comparison to the very wealthy. That's backwards. My core values say that to whom much is given, a little bit more needs to be expected. And it's not because I'm some wild-eyed liberal. It's because I read it in the Bible. Uh, And that's a core value that I think most Utahns share. So we we made a big mistake when we went to a flat tax where the very most wealthy people who are making $2 million a year are paying the same income tax rate as a, a single mom who's just barely fighting to get by. Second, we've got to make sure we do a better job of watching those tax loopholes, tax credits, and tax incentives, which account for, uh, uh, you know, about 30 percent of the overall, roughly 30 percent of the overall uh, uh, source of revenue that we are not collecting in our our coffers. We need to make sure that those tax incentives, uh, dollar for dollar, reflect our values in comparison to what we could have spent on public schools.
1: Lieutenant Governor, we'll give you a few extra seconds.
2: Thank you, Doug. So, look, I'm glad my opponent said he's not going
0: to raise taxes, and neither am I. And, and, and here's why. There are, we have the revenue sources. We just need to prioritize them and take advantage of some that we're missing out on. A couple of those. One I've already mentioned is the way that we build schools. And hundreds of millions of dollars every year is wasted, I believe, on, on construction that is unnecessary and, and, and ostentatious. Also, I, I mentioned the, the land that is owned by the federal government. Now, look, we are a public land state, and we will always be a public land state. But it also may surprise many of you to know that there are thousands of acres owned by the federal government within, within our cities or within just a few miles of our cities. We're not talking about the big, pristine, beautiful areas. We're talking about land that is, is within a municipality. Uh, the federal government is not paying their fair share for those lands, and that has to change. We're working very closely with our delegation. Uh, we, we recently, during the special session, in fact, we, we passed a resolution to help bring those dollars back to Utah. Those are dollars that will go straight into the education fund and make a difference in the lives of our
1: children. As I mentioned earlier, this uh, debate would have been held at Utah Valley University and unfortunately we weren't able to do that. But the students have really participated and we turn again to a question and a comment from one of the students at UVU.
0: Hi, my name is Haley from Utah Valley University Um, and my question for you, Spencer Cox and Chris Peterson, um, is how do you plan on restoring people's confidence in the police?
1: And let's go to Spencer Cox first, a one-minute time on this. Thank you, Haley. Um, obviously, the, uh, the,
0: the last few months have been very difficult uh, for uh, our law enforcement community. Um, I used to say that all politics was local. Now, I believe that all politics is national. And certainly when, when things happen, like the George Floyd murder, uh, it, it gets the attention of everyone. And, and it should. It was devastating. And, uh, and, and changes have to be made. The, the way we restore that trust is very simple. Um, it's a combination of uh, of competency and, and ethics. Those, those two things, that's the the formula for trust, uh, competency and ethics, those two things. So we are working very closely with our law enforcement community. And, and my hat's off to the chiefs of police and, and the sheriffs who stepped up during these these very difficult times and said, we can do better and we're going to do better. Um, just last week, we made a significant change to our, our post. That's the training for law enforcement officers that have added components to help them understand uh, racial bias, um, reach out to communities, understand how to police in different ways so that they're. they're they're not using lethal force, those changes are going to have huge impacts on the police moving forward. And I believe, I believe will help restore the trust
1: uh, here in the state of Utah. Mr. Peterson, your response?
2: Yeah. So first off, Haley, thank you. It's a great question. It's a very painful subject that's causing a lot of angst around the country. I I know that uh, uh, there are hard feelings among our black, indigenous and people of color uh, communities. And I want you to know that I care about you. I see you. I care about your lives and want to do everything that we can to restore trust and make sure that you're full participants in our society. At the same time, I also want law enforcement to know that I care about you too. And I also respect your services and everything that you're doing to keep us safe. And, and provide professional policing. Uh, and I will try to find reasonable opportunities to balance those two. One thing I don't support is defunding the police. I don't support that. Instead, I think that we should increase mental health resources for our police. Second, we need to continue to press forward on implicit bias training. Third, we need to have conflict de-escalation training and policy reviews at local police station, police offices and sheriff's departments. And then fourth, we need to make sure that we've got community involvement in policing to try to restore trust in our our police forces. And
1: our friend Ben Winslow is here with us from Fox 13 with a question. Ben?
2: Let's go back to taxes for a quick second here. I want to know what your thoughts are on the food tax. Should it stay or should it go? And before you say, oh, that's a legislative function, it doesn't matter to me. If elected, would you march upstairs and talk to the legislature about it? And what would you say to them?
1: We go to Chris Peterson.
2: First, one minute. I'll do a lot more than march upstairs. Thank you for the question. You know, if you understand nothing about my career and my life's work, it's been all about trying to make a difference in the daily lives of working people. And that means getting a fair shake in business, getting a fair shake in in their jobs, and also getting a fair shake from the government. I already talked about the regressive tax burden that we have in our state, where low and moderate income people tend to pay a disproportionate share of their wealth. How did the majority party of state respond to that they tried to triple the food tax nearly triple the food taxes in our state i would have never have supported that i wouldn't have just not only would i have marched down there and tried to negotiate a better deal i also would have vetoed that bill and they would have had to pass it over my veto i vow right here and now i will never support a food tax bill in the state of utah
0: lieutenant governor yeah, thank you, Ben, for the question. Um, and, and, and Professor Peterson is right that the, uh, the the legislature did try to increase food taxes. I thought it was a huge mistake at the time, and uh, and I said as much. And I'm very proud. Uh, one of the reasons I selected my running mate, Senator Deidra Henderson, is that she was one of the uh, w- one of the only senators in the majority party who voted against that. And it was the right thing to do because it is a regressive tax, and, and it is very difficult again for our, our low income families, um, our, our seniors who are on a fixed income to be able to, to pay those those extra taxes. That is not the way that we should do business here in the state of Utah. And I'm very grateful uh, that, that we saw citizens come together, uh, submit their signatures, uh, and be, knowing that it was going to be on the ballot, the legislature did the right thing and, uh, and ended up repealing that, that tax. That was the, the right thing to do. And that's what I love about our state, is we still have the ability to impact the way that decisions are made. We really can come together to make a tremendous difference. And this is one area where we saw citizens stand up and tell the legislature
1: that that's not something they, they support, and I would not support it as your governor. There are so many important issues to talk about, and time is so precious. We do have the presidential debate coming up, so we need to be right on time. But let's go to a question from one of our Utah Valley University students, and let's go to that now.
0: Hello, my name is McKay Williams from Utah Valley University. My question for you today is, what do you plan on
2: doing to protect public lands here in Utah. Thank you very much.
1: And let's go just 30 seconds on this, uh, Lieutenant Governor Cox. Thank you for the question. Look, we are a public land state. Um, we have always been a public land
0: state, and we will always be a public land state. It's one of the things that makes Utah so incredible. And, and I want to give a shout out to the people that have worked so hard to protect the public lands over these years, people like my family who, who farm and ranch on public lands, who have made a tremendous difference. Uh, we have to make sure that the public lands are available for everyone and that they are supporting the people of the state of Utah. We don't need to sell those lands off, we need to keep those lands, but we need to guarantee the multiple use that that those lands are supposed to be are supposed to be guaranteed for for the people of the state of utah we're destroying economies in rural utah by not allowing to use those
2: lands in very responsible ways and professor peterson your time Yeah, so first off, we need to stop having wasteful lawsuits that don't solve anything. If you follow the public lands debates across the state, we've been going down rabbit holes where we're not actually getting anything done. Second, I also agree with the lieutenant governor. I want to go back and fight with Washington to make sure we're getting adequate payment in lieu of taxes as a source of revenue from those public lands. Third, we need to protect our heritage so these lands are available for future generations. But fourth, we need to do it with reasonable balance and prudent stewardship to make sure that it's, uh, the lands are useful for all of us.
1: Again, we have another question. This ties into the public lands and other things as well. It comes from Instagram. And do you have a long-term plan for water in Utah? Does anything need to be done to Utah's forests to present the large fires like we are seeing in California? And what are your plans for taking action on the fires we are currently having? And Professor Peterson.
2: Well, I'm so glad that you asked this question. It raises the, one of the greatest challenges that I believe we're facing as a society, and that's climate change. Part of the reason that our water levels are going down is because we're in a long-term drought that is a result of the changing climate that we have all around us. That's also putting pressure on our forests. What will I do? I'll try to transition to a glean, green energy economy. I'll try to uh, ha- have better forest management, and I'll also try to make sure that we're developing our water resource infrastructure to make sure we've got water available for agriculture, as well as our growing population.
1: And Spencer Cox. Yeah, in 30
0: seconds. Wow. This is, a, this is an hour-long answer. Um, look, uh, water is the single, single greatest limiting resource that we have here in the state. Um, and, and so there's a couple things we have to do. We have to develop the new projects like the Lake Powell Pipeline that, that are on the books and are going to happen. We, we need conservation and much more of it. And, and this is critical. We actually have plans out there going out to 2050. You can get on the state's website, look at those plans. They're amazing. They'll answer this a lot quicker than I can in 30 seconds. And then forest management is critical. The federal government, the environmentalists have absolutely stop forest management in ways that, that are compounding the impacts of these giant fires that we're seeing uh, across the country and here in the state of Utah.
1: Normally, these questions we're asking here at the very end would be at the very first, but with COVID, it's a little different. And again, this will be a short response. So maybe I can phrase it this way. When it comes to our air quality, what is the number one thing that you would prioritize to improve our air quality here in the state of Utah? And we go to Spencer Cox. Well, the good news is
0: um, over the past 10 years, because of the efforts that we have made and industry have made and individuals have made, our air is 30% cleaner now than it was just 10 years ago. That means we're on the right track, but we still have further to go. The truth is that about, uh, about half of our emissions that make for dirty air come from tailpipes. That's where we need to make the biggest impact. Again, investing in mass transit is going to be huge for that. Investing in electric vehicle infrastructure is going to make a huge change there. And, and working to make sure that all of our refineries are producing Tier 3 gasoline which burns
2: um, a- about eighty percent cleaner than than the gasoline that most use now Chris Peterson. Uh, Some similar answers. First, we've got to get our tier three gasoline uh, spread across the Wasatch Front, which has lower sulfur emissions and protects uh, uh, from uh, uh, from from from, uh, air pollution. Second, we need to more quickly transition to plug in hybrid and electric vehicles and facilitate that infrastructure. Third, we've got to transition to clean green energy, including rooftop residential, commercial and government solar power, as well as the uh, third highest untapped resources in geothermal energy in America.
1: Thank you for your very succinct responses on these very important questions. And now we're to the final moments of the debate and the final statements. And because of the flip of the virtual coin, it's uh, we're going to Spencer Cox first. Oh, Chris Peterson. I'm sorry. Chris Peterson.
2: I'm sorry, what was, was the question? It's, it's
1: your, fi- <laughs> oh, final your final statement, statement.
2: Yeah. yes. Right, well look, I, so thank you, Doug. So look, we have so much to be proud of in our state. I love this state and I wanna serve it uh, as, a, as an honest and forthright public servant. But the reality is we also have some challenges that we're not addressing. If I am an elected governor, I'm going to continue to do the things that we're doing well, but I'm also going to address areas for improvement. For example, we haven't talked about how politicians in this state have been repealing and watering down ballot measures from the last three elections. That's from the, the three ballot measures from the last election. That's not okay. We also uh, need to stop squandering our resources and make sure that we're doing everything we can to protect the public health in the coronavirus crisis. We also have the lowest per pupil funding for public schools in America, the highest general wage gap in America and the highest teen suicide rate in America. And look, we have a bright and optimistic future ahead of us, but we need to continue to get better. And that's the kind of moderate, temperate, civil, cordial leadership that I will engage in across party lines. I hope that you'll give me a chance. I ask for your vote. And now we go to Spencer Cox. Ladies and gentlemen,
0: 2020 has been a year unlike any other. And I recognize it has been difficult for everyone that is watching this right now. I remember talking to the governor a few weeks ago. We, we, we've had a global pandemic. Um, of course, we had an earthquake. We had some civil unrest. And uh, I told him, well, the good news is it can't get any worse. And, and then we had a hurricane of sorts uh, that, that created immense devastation, unlike anything I had seen across the Wasatch Front. And what did Utahns do? They came together. Operation Firewood Rescue. And they took 10,000 volunteers and millions and millions and millions of pounds of firewood to our Native Americans who desperately need it. That's what Utah's do best. Um, I hope tonight what you've seen is the best of Utah. Uh, this idea that we can have civil discourse, that we can disagree without being disagreeable, because you're about to watch something that is very, very different than that. That's the best of Utah. As your governor, my promise to you is that we will continue to do the best of Utah, to be the best of Utah, and to show the rest of the nation that there are better ways to solve problems and
1: lead the nation out of this crisis and any other that comes our way. And our thanks tonight to Spencer Cox and Chris Peterson for their time this evening. And thank you for those who asked questions, including news reporters, our Utah Valley University students, and those submitting questions on social media. And a special thanks goes to the Utah Debate Commission co-chairs, Karen Hale and Wayne Niederhauser, and Executive Director Nina Sliding as well. And a particular thanks to the many broadcast stations who brought this debate to you as a public service. The Utah Debate Commission would also like to thank the sponsors of tonight's debate, the Larry H. and Gail Miller Family Foundation and the George S. and Dolores Doray Eccles Foundation. And stay tuned for the first of the presidential debates between Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Then on October 7th, the Utah Debate Commission is proud to partner with the U of U to present the vice presidential debate between Mike Pence and Kamala Harris. And on October 12th at 6 o'clock, the Utah Debate Commission will host candidates for the 4th Congressional District. Please plan now to participate in the election process by mailing in or casting your ballot on or before November 3rd. In Salt Lake City, I'm Doug Wright, thanking you for viewing and joining us for tonight's debate And have a good evening.
2: A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today.
1: Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela.
2: They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us.